0: In this Greatest Hits sermon series, we've been looking at different kinds of songs and how they resonate with well-known scriptures. We've already looked at the party song and the love song. Last week, we talked about the breakup song, and today we're turning the volume up to 11 for the fight song, that song that you listen to when you really need to pump yourself up for a challenge. And what better text to accompany that than one of the most legendary fights of all time, the duel between David and Goliath. In one corner, a man monolith, ten feet tall, armed to the teeth. And in the other, the scrawny son of a sheepherder. This text is celebrated as an inspiring tale of an underdog who goes on to win glory. But for all of Goliath's fearsome strength, David is still young, and he has yet to face his greatest enemy.
1: A reading from 1 Samuel. And the champion emerged from the Philistines' camp named Goliath from Gath. His height was six cubits and a span, and a helmet of copper was on his head, and he was wearing a coat of mail, And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of copper. And greaves of copper were on his legs, and a copper javelin was between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head was 600 shekels of iron. And the shield bearer went before him. And he stood, and he called to the array of Israel, and he said to them, Why should you come out to wage war? Am I not the Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose for yourselves a man and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, we shall be slaves to you. And if I overcome him and kill him, you shall be slaves to us and serve us. And the Philistines said, I taunt the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man and let us fight together. And Saul dressed David with his garments, and he placed a copper helmet on his head, and he dressed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword over his garments, and he did not want to go in them, for he was not accustomed. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I am not accustomed. And David took them off, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth pebbles from the brook, and he placed them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, and in the sack, and his slingshot was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine was continuously drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield was with him. And the Philistine looked and saw David, and he despised him, for he was a youth and ruddy with an attractive appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me. And I shall give your flesh to the fowl of the air and to the cattle of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, and I come to you with the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, which you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I shall slay you and take off your head. And I shall give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines this day to the fowl of the air and to the beasts of the earth. And all the earth shall know that Israel has a God. And all this assembly shall know that not with sword and javelin does the Lord save, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will deliver you into our hand. And it was when the Philistine arose and drew closer to David that David hastened and ran to the battle array toward the Philistine. And David stretched his hand into the bag, and took out a stone therefrom, and slung it. And he hit the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Hear now what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen.
0: I'm sorry I'm a little out of breath it's the most exercise I've gotten in months let us pray gracious God may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you and may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ in whose name we pray amen First of all, thanks to Romanic, a true champion, for lending me these gloves. (laughs) Friends, my grandfather, believe it or not, was a professional boxer when he was younger. And sometimes when I think about him, I get it into my head that I would have liked to be a boxer too. There's a certain raw beauty in the simplicity of it. Step into the ring, hit the other guy, knock him down. Spend your days in a training montage, listening to Eye of the Tiger, getting a little bit stronger with every passing moment. Step into the ring for a shot at glory. No strategic plans, no budgets to manage, no need to be especially creative or visionary. Nothing but you and the other guy. Hit him. Knock him down. In reality, Of course, I'm no Rocky Balboa. Clearly I am a little out of breath for real, so. (laughs) I'm a quarter Italian, but I'm no Italian stallion. I've never hit anyone in my life. I tend to prefer a sedentary lifestyle. I'm more comfortable here in the pulpit than I am in a boxing ring or a gymnasium or an athletic facility of any kind. Many years ago, I was on our annual senior high work trip, and uh, we were in St. Louis, and we had to shower at the local YMCA every night. Well, friends, I went a whole week without bathing because I just couldn't stand the ambiance of the place. The lockers, the concrete floors, the, the smell of sweat and athletic equipment, it all brought me back to gym class where I first learned to despise competition and physical activity. The only thing I like about boxing, really, is the music. Of course, I'm not even talking about the real sport. I'm just talking about the movies they made about it back in the 80s. I mentioned Eye of the Tiger before from the band Survivor. I'm sure you all know all that one, right? dun, 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 dun. Dun-dun-dun! It's a classic. But did you know that there's an entire genre of similar music? Much of it featured in movies about boxers and kickboxers and fighter pilots. The Rocky films are the premier example, of course, uh, featuring Eye of the Tiger on the soundtrack for Rocky III, but also lesser-known classics like Burning Heart, And no easy way out. Anthems sung without irony, but with a whole lot of heart. I found a playlist on Spotify recently that offered up a treasure trove of this music. The playlist was appropriately called, Gonna Need a Montage. That's a reference, of course, to the scenes in these films where the protagonist trains really hard and gets ridiculously strong over the course of about five minutes. Images of the dude hitting a punching bag and doing pull-ups and running vast distances flash across the screen, always to the tune of some guy singing about being the best, about never giving up, about fighting his way to the top. Now, I want you to hear an example of what I'm talking about. This, uh, this is from the Karate Kid soundtrack. Circa 1984. Hit it. Only a man, and a man's gotta learn to take it. Gotta leave when the going gets tough, but you gotta be the one to make it. History repeats itself, try and you'll succeed. Never doubt that you're the one, and you can have your dream. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep me down. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. Okay. All right, all right. I'm sorry, I got a little, I got a little caught up in that one. Um, they just don't make them like that anymore, you know? Thanks be to God, you're probably all thinking. But songs like that one really fire me up when, when I'm staring down a challenge and when I feel like I'm fighting the world. David. David didn't need a montage. He didn't have to train for months before the big fight. He didn't have to overcome his personal fears and demons. He didn't have to sacrifice much of anything. He just stepped up Knock the other guy out cold in a single shot. And it's less impressive than it sounds. You know, Goliath, Goliath is lumbering under 126 pounds of armor. He's massive. He's a slow-moving target. And David hit him with a stone that had the stopping power of a bullet right between the eyes. David, according to some scholars, was no underdog. He was no Rocky Balboa. While both men are champions who came from humble origins, David's rise was meteoric and came easily. Compared to someone like Rocky, who started out with nothing on the mean streets of Philadelphia, he had to win every victory by the sweat on his brow and by the skin of his teeth. David's victory always seemed assured, inevitable. The son of a poor sheepherder and the youngest of seven brothers, David was plucked out of poverty by the prophet Samuel, who prophesied that David would be the next king of Israel and then brought him to the royal court. And there, David earned the affection of King Saul with his ability uh, to play on the lyre, and he impressed the king further with his effortless takedown of Goliath. And then he later won glory in the war against the Philistines by casually slaughtering thousands of enemy troops. Now let it be said that there's nothing easy about fighting in a war, but for David, it seems to come naturally. That's why people famously proclaimed in those days, King Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And Saul's jealousy only exacerbated his own inevitable nervous breakdown, smoothing David's path to the throne, which he then seized before long. Now, it should also be noted, as it says in the text, that David was extremely handsome, very attractive. Of course, this tends to make achieving success a little easier. I, of all people, ought to know. <laughs> uh, but even though victory came easily to David, he was embattled. He, he lived a life that was filled with enemies to be defeated. Men like Goliath, locked in an ongoing war with the Philistines, forced to navigate the politics of the royal court. That's how it must have seemed to him, like he was always fighting the world. I felt the same way when I was a cashier at the local grocery store when I was younger. Sunday mornings were always the worst. The customers would line up outside the door at 7 a.m., just waiting to get in. As I took my place behind the register, they'd start shopping. And no joke, the line would stretch all the way through the third aisle to the deli counter at the back of the store, 25, 30 customers deep. It registered in my overly imaginative teenage brain as a kind of barbarian horde to be conquered. And I'd Swipe their produce and lunch meats across the scanner like a heroic swordsman swinging his blade. And by the time the store closed at one o'clock, I always left the cash register tired and wounded, perhaps mortally, but victorious. Now I confess that I've often viewed the world in those kinds of adversarial terms. Every challenge, a fight to be won every task, an enemy to be conquered. Strange, perhaps, for a guy who's never even been in a fight. But here's the thing. It's a lot easier to imagine enemies out there than it is to face the demons in here. It's easier to fight the world than it is to face yourself. And that's a lesson that David would have done well to learn. He was victorious on every battlefield except the one in his own soul. Because that, friends, that is the hardest fight of all. In his book, Notes from Underground, Fyodor Dostoevsky paints a grim portrait of a man. He's a man that's Different from David in nearly every way, he's viciously insecure, unsuccessful, utterly lacking in charisma. He's filled with self-doubt and loathing. I'm a sick man, a mean man, he begins the novel. There's nothing attractive about me. I think there's something wrong with my liver. This man and David do have one thing in common— and that is that they perceive any enemies everywhere, all around them. It's them against the world. In one particularly absurd episode, this pitiful man becomes obsessed with a tall, handsome officer. The officer fills him with hatred, strutting around and rattling his saber like a big shot. Dostoevsky's nameless protagonist, and I use that word protagonist very loosely here, he notices that every day the officer strolls along Nevsky Avenue, never turning aside for anyone as the crowd makes way before him. And he gets it into his head that he is going to walk down the street and bump shoulders with the officer. He's gonna refuse to move aside for him in plain sight of everyone. And this, he believes, will put them on even ground and somehow justify his existence. This bold idea took hold of me, he writes. I had no peace. I kept thinking of it. It drove me out onto Nevsky Avenue again and again to visualize more clearly how I'd do it when I decided to go through with it. The man asks his boss for an advance on his salary so that he can purchase finer clothes for the occasion. But it's all for naught. I almost fell under his feet, for my courage failed me at the very last moment, he laments. When I was only two inches from him, he passed completely unperturbed while I bounced to one side like a ball. That night, I was sick and delirious again. Now let's take a step back and look at this absurd situation. The officer clearly doesn't even realize this other guy exists, which is part of what infuriates him. But the officer clearly isn't an enemy, some foe to be vanquished. He's just another guy minding his own business. A little arrogantly, maybe, but so what? Wouldn't Dostoevsky's underground man be better off focusing his energy on himself turning inward, not with self-loathing, but with an intention to better himself, to deal with his own issues instead of projecting them onto someone else. The same could be said of David. He's outwardly victorious, vanquishing every foe and even some who aren't really his enemies at all. But David lacks even the slightest bit of self awareness, especially when he's younger. With things coming so easily to him, he has seldom had to struggle or to work through the kind of hardships that build a person's character. And as he grows in power, he also begins dabbling in adultery, extortion, and murder. You see, David wins every battle except the one with himself and his own demons. He doesn't put in the work. David is no Rocky Balboa. Now, it's worth noting that at the end of the very first Rocky film, Rocky loses his fights against heavyweight champion Apollo Creed, the sort of foil in the movie. After 15 rounds of brutal combat and great music, the hero loses by decision. He can't knock the other guy out. But here's the thing, he never really expected to. Rocky never thought that he could win this fight in the traditional sense of the word. The beginning of the film, he's not even a very good boxer. His trainer, Mickey, tells him that he fights like an ape and that he ought to consider an early retirement. But he's determined to win by his own standards. He's determined to accomplish the goals that he sets out for himself. He's determined to be the best that he can be. He doesn't think that he can beat Apollo Creed, but if he works hard enough on himself, then maybe, just maybe, he can survive the 15 rounds until the final bell. Maybe he'll still be standing when it's all over. And that's the film's brilliant twist that Rocky isn't even fighting Apollo Creed. Not really. He's fighting himself. Because the best fighters know that the real opponent isn't in the ring. It's in the gym, where you're all alone. How often, friends, do we try to step into the ring when we should be spending more time in the gym? Or to put it another way, as Jesus once said, Remove the log from your own eye, and then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your neighbor's eye. Work on yourself. You can't change anyone else. This lesson convicts me personally, because I literally need to spend more time in the gym. More than anything else, that's probably what I need to work on. It's no secret. I've put on some weight. It's all right, you don't have to pretend like you don't notice that maybe I've taken a little too much advantage of the ministries of hospitality in this congregation. What I need is a montage. I need to put on my headphones and listen to some Kenny Loggins and get to work. (laughs) But in real life, it takes more than a few minutes to get yourself into shape, be it physically or spiritually. What about you? What is it that you need to change about yourself before you can hope to change the world? As I sat in my car just a few minutes before I interviewed for this position, I closed my eyes and turned the volume up on the radio. The interview was at the Glen Owen Library and. I sat in the parking lot there and listened as the Rocky theme song echoed from the car's speakers as I tried to psych myself up for what I imagined would be the fight of my life. But that was stupid. I mean, the people waiting to interview me weren't enemies to be vanquished. They were friends waiting to help me realize my potential. The only enemy to fight was myself, my my insecurity, my depression, my fear. And in the years since that day I still can't say that I've won in any definitive way, whatever that even means. I mean, I don't know if life is really something that you can win like a boxing match. But for what it's worth, I'm still standing. And sometimes that's a victory all its own. Amen.